head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast the pride of limerick the young man named sean sheehan the mma media don graham mcdonald the severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot. And I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 222 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Trevor Giles of Irish MMA media, Graham McDonald. As we talk about a lot of MMA, a lot of news, a lot of fights, a lot of different things. Graham, how are you, Hartings? I'm good, good, good. How's everything down in Limerick? No, what now? It's it's all right. I have a free house here for the next couple of weeks. They're all going away on holidays next week anyway, so I'm just... You must be very lonely. We've got to get some troops down there. <laughs> Keep your company. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come, come on now. Anybody, uh, Any anybody women out there? to do. <laughs> no, if you're male, don't bother. Just stay at home. Anyone with nothing, nothing to do, give me a shout. Call down. Well, what's that website crack. called with the with the Kylie article about you pissing them off? They'll oh, be yeah. like, uh, pedophile Sean Sheehan. <laughs> what? <laughs> calls 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 what for the, girls to come to his house. Article, yeah. What was that article? What was that <laughs> article about? <laughs> Richard Kylie gets angry at Sean Sheehan over so I don't know, I can't remember. Yeah. He's just clearly not angry, it's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, he gets annoyed at Johnny. In fairness, Richard Guy always gets annoyed at me, rightly so, because like when I, if anyone wants to be interview people, I just like, I just talk what I would normally say, or like if I was looking at their fights and said, "Here, this is an issue," I just say it to them. And sometimes people, you know, but Kylie loves that. Kylie doesn't mind that at all, and he always has good answers for it. So I don't think that's really getting annoyed. I just think that's a conversation, but it's funny. I didn't think Irish MMA. Yeah, I would think guys a, can get a, like guys can get annoyed with the same at the same questions more than like a different question. You know, even if it is a bit more challenging to answer or. You know, yeah. maybe it doesn't make them look great or, or whatever. Like, for, not for example, like I'm not talking about Kylie and, mm-hmm. and this, but yeah, I, I, I don't know where that, I just thought it was fun, really funny. Yeah. It was, it's just a really reaching. Yeah, it was, but Irish MMA tabloid sites, we, we need them. We need them. Bring them on. Write, write them up. Keep writing them up. It makes me look good anyway. So do, do that, do that. Uh, right. Today, we're going to try a little bit of a different format here for. Uh, this week anyway, we won't be doing it next week because of the, of the really, really big card, but we might do it in a couple of weeks after that again. Let us know what you think of it here. So what we're going to do today is uh, I'm going to cut off the podcast here now in a second and I'm going to bring myself back in and I'm going to talk about the cards, uh, the Shevchenko versus uh, Karmouche card and just maybe like 15, 20 minutes, break down what happened on that card and just talk about the kind of the stories coming back from it. And then I'm going to br- bring back in Graham here and we're going to talk about uh, the Stipe Miocic um, uh, uh, DC fight and uh, Diaz and Pettis and all that because... Over la- we've we found over the last while we're kind of maybe not given enough time to the upcoming fights and the news and stuff that's happened in, during the week and I think we kind of want to make more uh, of that so we're going to try it here there's no point harm trying if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and we go back to the to the old format but it's it's going to be a similar enough format really won't really change anything for you you'll just sit here and listen and we'll, we'll be talking anyway so uh, so that's that so let's do that let me hand me over now let me hand me over let Sean Sheehan, hand Sean Sheehan over to Sean Sheehan. Sean Sheehan, take it away. Thank you very much, Shawnee. Um, okay, so <laughs> what to say about this card? Um, it wasn't a classic card, and it was topped by one of the worst title fights in UFC history. Uh, I was looking through my ratings there for the fights that have gone on this year. My lowest rated fight 
so far is Rory McDonald versus John Fitch, and I give that a 1.7. And I actually think this fight was significantly worse than that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go too far. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the worst fight of all time or anything like that. It wasn't a Francis Ngan or Derek Lewis, but it was worst fight of the year category for me. Like, I'm gonna give it. I'm going to give it a 1.4, I think. That's what I'm going to give it, a 1.4. Uh, not, just nothing happened. Nothing happened in the whole fight. I'm talking about uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus Liz Carmouche. It was just very, very, very poor. Like, Liz Carmouche came out and she decided straight away that I'm just going to be defensive as I possibly can be. I'm going to run around on the outside Am I going to try to not get hit? And maybe if I get an opportunity, I'll take it. If Shevchenko, like, let's go and gives me a big opportunity, I'll take it. And otherwise, I'll just keep running and running and running around on the outside. Landing nothing. Throwing absolutely nothing. And not really getting hit with much either. But Shevchenko was landing a few. Like, if it, I got through it round by round. These are my notes. This is what I've, I've written down. Round one, Liz Carmouche defensive. Nothing happened. Round two, nothing. Shevchenko lands an elbow. Round three, Valentina Shevchenko a little bit more output. She got a knockdown. She got a, a body lock takedown. Round four, takedown slash kind of pulled guard, stood up. Then there was a back fist from Shevchenko and she got on top and side control. Uh, and the fifth round, there was a few strikes landed. Uh, Shevchenko managed to get on top and that was that. So overall... There's really not much analysis I can give you for this fight. Just it wasn't a fight. Like nothing happened. Liz Carmouche came out and she decided to be ultra defensive. Valentina Shashinko was happy enough to coast her way to the decision. Like I tweeted it during the fight. After two and a half, three minutes, I said exactly what I said there. You know, <laughs> Valentina Shashinko is happy enough to just win this fight, win a, win this uneventful fight. You know, win uneventful rounds while Liz Carmouche was just going to be ultra, ultra, ultra defensive. And that's all the whole fight was. And I think maybe the bigger picture here is that this women's flyweight division is not ready yet. Liz Carmouche should not have been a challenger. I told you all last week that this wasn't going to be uh, a competitive fight at all. I thought Shevchenko would be able to win it a lot more. I thought, I thought at least Carmouche should have maybe have the, you know, the the want to go out there and try to win the fight. Like, to me, I didn't see her even trying to win the fight. Like, and I'd be, I might be very, very critical on the fight and on Liz Carmouche, but anyone who stood up till, till half four to watch that fight is probably fairly critical on themselves. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a ghost of you and saying it how, how you should say it and saying what I think. So that's what I, I think. Like, Michael Bisping on the commentary, all I could think of was him. And, like, he went in and he got his title fight and he went and he fucking took it. You know, he got his shots. He took the fair amount of shots against that against Luke Rockhold in that fight, but he landed that big shot, and he went in there, and at least he gave himself a shot. Like, did Carmouche go in there and give herself a shot? I don't think she did, really. I, I think she blew it, really. Look, she wouldn't have won anyway. She probably would have got knocked out, so maybe it's better off, and maybe I'm being uh, too harsh on her. But, like, <laughs> in most fighters in that situation, you tell them, you know, you, you'd either come out after five rounds and you regret not going for it or you get knocked out after going for it and giving it your best for two and a half rounds. Which would they take? I think they'd probably take the one where you gave it your best so you'd have no regrets. Like, will Liz Carmouche come out of that fight and have regrets? I think she probably will. I honestly do. I think she probably will. For Shevchenko, you know, she took what she was given. She took the easy fight. She took It was an easy night for her, really. She didn't have to throw many strikes. She didn't take any strike. I think the round three, she didn't land one significant strike. Liz Carmouche... 
So, you know, that that was that. Where does uh, Shevchenko go next? Who knows? You know, she called out Amanda Nunes. Will that fight happen? Maybe. Probably not anytime soon. I'm sure whoever the next contender is coming up will be uh, will be ripe for the picking as well for her. And it'll be another uh, easy fight. But, you know, that's about that. What more can I say about that fight? Nothing happened in it. So there really isn't that much analysis <laughs> to, to do on it. So that's that. Uh, the rest of the card here is going to be obviously a, a short recap. I was planning to do like 20 minutes, but it's not going to be that long. Uh, Vicente Luca versus Mike Perry was a good fight. Yeah, very, very good fight. Uh, Vicente Luca ended up winning it by a split decision. I actually had it for Mike Perry, but it was one of those ones where it could be 3027 uh, Luca, could have been 3027 Perry, could have been 2928. Either way, it was one of those fights. All three rounds were very, very close, and there was definitely no robbery there. Uh, anyway, so at the end of the fight, Mike Perry's nose was in absolute bits. You know, it was a very back and forth fight. Um, Luca hit him with that big knee right up through the middle, and uh, and uh, Perry, look, <laughs> he's game as fuck. The thing about Perry, like watching him, and maybe it counts against him a little bit, is that I don't think he has any natural power. And when I say that now, you could probably say, "What the fuck?" and go on fight bass and look at him knocking lads out, or go on YouTube or whatever. And he has, but to me, he lands like let's think of a, a real power striker like a Tyron Woodley or uh, uh, Conor McGregor or you know who, whatever else power striker you want to see and they land with those big shots even lads who are maybe not power strikers maybe, maybe like a Cowboy Cerrone and he lands with like five or six huge shots hit uh, thrown and landed at the utmost of his ability and he lands them right on Luke's face and they don't really knock a star out of him like to me that shows a lack of power and lack of natural power because the way he throws him, he looks like he is unbelievable, ungodly power. But then he lands and there just has no effect. And that's not the first fight that's happened in. Um, so that counts against Mike Perry a little bit, I think, on the judges' cards because, you know, if they had a greater effect, I think he'd be winning all these fights handy enough. But the fact that they don't, it's hard. I think it makes it tough for the judges because he looks like he's landing big, significant strikes. But then the effect that they have aren't isn't really significant at all it's a weird one really he's a unique fighter but i thought he fought well to be honest uh it was probably the best my pearl we've seen so far his cardio looked very good as well i think that has for a while though and uh luca looked good as well landing that jab right up through the middle and as i said that knee as well hurt my Perry broke his nose and he called out wonder by afterwards so that's a fight i wouldn't mind seeing uh, either then the the facebook prelim in the middle of the the card saw luis eduardo garagari take on humberto bandea in a good fight good back and forth fight to be honest i'll probably win fight at night it was it was pretty fun uh garagori the hometown guy there over in uruguay uh ended up winning that fight so that was pretty good vulcan Ozimir got a lovely ko against uh ilir latifi and to me watching that fight all i could think of towards the end of the fight was why didn't they throw in the towel like Latifi was in bad, bad trouble. Vulcan at him with that knee. Smashed him with two left hands to finish it up. But after the knee and there was about 90 seconds uh, where I was watching and saying, come on, lads, what, what's what's happening here? He's out on his feet. The, there was a kind of a, there was an in-between bit there where it's a corner stoppage and not a referee stoppage, if you know what I mean. He, The referee really couldn't stop it because he was still fighting and stuff. But that's uh, that's ex the exact situation. If you watch back the last 90 seconds, maybe two minutes of that fight, that's the exact situation where the corner should be throwing the flag, where they should be pulling their fighter. He was just taking shots. He was, you know, he was just giving away parts of his brain there for two minutes, like, and that was very, very unfortunate. But for Vulcan Odzimir, a good win. He did the thing I hate most, calling out the lad who beat him six months ago. 
uh, which never makes sense, even though it was a very close fight, and a lot of people think he, he was robbed and stuff, but never, ever makes sense, never do that, I think it's just, I think it's just stupid, you're never going to get that fight back, That why would that lad bother fighting you, why would the UFC make that fight again, not yet anyway, win a, win a few fights and, and then you'll get it back, or just go, go past him or something, but just, that makes no sense, um, after that then, Rodolfo Vieira took on Oscar Pichota, and he won via arm triangle, uh, to me, watching Vera, he's obviously this uh, very, very, very good jiu-jitsu guy, and they're talking about him being one of the best in the world and everything like that. Uh, but then, again, thinking of it from kind of a judging point of view and watching this fight, if he hadn't have got the submission in this fight, he was looking at a very wrestle-heavy, offense-lacking performance here. And if that goes three rounds, or if that later in his career goes five rounds, that, the way judging is done today, the way fights are scored, he's going to end up losing fights. And he's going to end up, you know, probably at the end of the fights going, oh, how the fuck did I lose that? You know, when he was riding lads out on top for, for you know, four and a half minutes of a round. But they landed a few elbows on him and they ended up winning. So, you know, he needs to, you know, move forward, as, as I say. It's easier said than done. But move forward, pass guard, get into submission uh, territory, get into uh, a place where you can land big strikes and do that. I think that, you know, he's still young in his career, I think he's only what, let me look at his record here, I don't, I don't think he's that many fights, yeah, he's only six fights, so he's five and one, uh, one by knockout and five by submission, so, you know, that's, let's see how he gets on, let's how he, see he, how, how he improves throughout his career in the UFC, and it's going to be tough now, you know, fighting so many uh, good guys, there's no really easy fights, well, I suppose there's a few easy fights in the UFC, but uh, that's that anyway, Enrique Barzola beat Bobby Moffat, in a split decision in a fight that you'd kind of watch over. Uh, Gilbert Burns beat Alexi Konchinko. Very, very good wrestle-heavy output by Gilbert Burns. Looked good in that fight, so fair play to him. Cyril Gagne looked good as well. Uh, I thought um, Pizzoa, a lot of people were kind of saying that he didn't look great and he was a, a pure can for him to beat. But I thought he was game. You know, I, I wish Liz Carmouche was as game as him. He came out and he threw his shots, threw his big right hand. Uh, Gagne did a good job of, of blocking it, I think he's very good defensively as well as attacking wise, uh, and he ended up getting the fight on the ground, got into kind of, this, uh, to control his arm and the side control and got the, the side, con- or the uh, uh, head and arm choke and ended up getting the submission, so he can't, it's not that he can just strike, he's good on the ground as well, you know, he got straight into that position, it was slicking off and, okay, Pazzo was kind of giving it up uh, at one stage, I don't think he's the best in the world at the ground, but Gagne had to take it as well and that's exactly what he did, he took it. And uh, he did well there. Uh, Marina Rodriguez beat Tisha Torres over three rounds. Torres just looked smaller. She looked outsized. Um, and just, you know, Rodriguez, when she got her up against the cage, she found it very tough. She was landing strikes down through the middle as well. Uh, and that was that. Um, Veronica Machado beat Pollyanna Viana. Uh, Alex De Silva won a decision over Godri- Rodrigo uh, Vargas. Uh, Chris Gutierrez beat Geraldo de Fretes. And Rogerio Bontorio beat Raul Pavia. So that was that, lads. Not a great card at all, by any means. Terrible main event. Good co-main event, Mike Perry versus um, Vicente Luque. So if you're waking up here in the morning and you haven't seen the fights and you're just listening to me, go and watch Luque versus Perry. Uh, go and watch Ozemir versus Latifi as well. That was a pretty good fight. And I think it'd be worth watching the Hodolfo Vieira fight as well, just to see what you think of him or what you think of him going forward. But everything else is really uh, a bit of a miss. I'll, I'll see the Ganya fight as well, so... Yeah, there you go. There's the review of UFC Uruguay. Uh, the rest of the podcast is going to be really, really fun. We'll, we'll talk about um, Nate Diaz and weight cutting and steep and all that. So let me hand up straight back here to Graham and Sean uh, to talk about next week's card and all the latest news. Take it away, Shani. 
Thank you, Sean. Back here now with Graham McDonald to talk about uh, next week's stuff and the news. Back over to you in the studio, Sean. <laughs> Back over to you in the studio. Um, so we were looking up kind of the, the news there from the week. And before we get to the big fights and stuff, you found uh, an article there about Aspen Lads. What, what's that about? There, there's something to do with her, her weight cutting. They're not letting her fight. or they're, they're kind Yeah, of- at Bantamweight in California, uh, Executive Director, California State Athletic Commissioner, uh, basically Andy Foster told mm-hmm. MMA Junkie that uh, they're gonna, the commission's going to require, uh, quote, extensive medical documentation to prove she's capable of fighting safely in the bantamweight division mm-hmm. before she can fight there again but you know these commissions don't uh, don't follow each other's like if one makes a rule they, they don't all follow so I don't it says here that her, her fight uh, in I think it's Michigan is it mm-hmm. uh, isn't uh, isn't in jeopardy so uh, yeah it says she gained 18% of her weight between weigh-ins and fight day against uh, Dorian Durandamy there a couple of weeks ago so uh, they suspended her license in California until she provides the documentation they want that's you know that's good I've, I've, no, I've no problem with that at all uh, you know it's, yeah it's, 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 in, it's good in principle it's the right decision all that but if the other commissions don't follow it, does there's so many commissions you can fight in, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. I feel like they will follow it though, uh, and I, I like I think, I think it'll look very bad on any other commission <clears throat> if uh, she goes back, let's say, to California and she provides whatever documentation is necessary, and she doesn't make that. You know, she doesn't get into the guidelines uh, that they want her to get into. Now. That brings up other questions as well. What's she going to do to get within those guidelines? Is she going to have to like cut more weight to go to a doctor to do a you know um, a weight cut to to, uh, to to make the weight that they want her to make? Or you know, is it going to be a hydration test? What's it going to be? I'd like to I'd like to maybe see a little bit more information about that. Maybe I'll send an email to Andy Foster and ask exactly. Yeah, well, Andy Foster uh, said that he expects. Uh, the District of Columbia Sports or Combat Sports Commission to, which is the, the December seventh yeah. event that she's fighting on, he expects them to honour the requirements before licensing her. But MMA Junkie said repeated requests for comment uh, to the DC Commission were not returned. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'd, it's hard to know if they'll follow if they'll just yeah. ignore the thing and just it'll just go away or if they'll follow maybe because she's not like uh, an AD as a Conor McGregor Habib a big draw maybe yeah. they will make, make, kind of make a stand of here yeah. maybe they should and I think they should because you know she she shouldn't have been clear to fight like a, yeah. it's all well and good saying afterwards oh we're gonna not let her fight the next time but why didn't you pull her from the fight the first time mm-hmm. that, that she looked like she's, she's, she was like shaking like a leaf like it was it was like worrying Shaking like a shitting dog, as, as Peter Worry, Kevin said. Worrying for worrying for her health, but also worrying for like her life. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's no yeah. joke. Like this is fucking no joke. Being that dehydrated, <laughs> like we we talk about MMA and the dangers of it and all, but like the dangers. And we always say like the weight the weight cutting yeah. is actually the most. It's way more dangerous. Dangerous like. part it yeah. is. Like we haven't talked about this in a while. We talked about it extensively, like probably about a year ago mm-hmm. or more when it was kind of more in the spotlight with McGregor and stuff. Like because people are like, oh, he looks terrible, you know, on the yeah. scale. And, and even though, like you know, he was never as bad as as Aspen Ladd or or some other people have been, like Johnny Hendricks, other other people who have been cleared to fight. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, <clears throat> my question here is, why don't they do this for everyone? You know, why why isn't this the standard? Like that you have to provide documentation that shows you can get to this weight. I think that's what they should do for everyone. And that's maybe that's I and I've I've suggested this a year ago when we were talking about it, or probably less. 
that we should do things like that where you get your documentation of what weight you naturally are, what weight you are hydrated. Or you just get some doctor to say, oh, yeah, no problem, here you go. Like, Yeah, but how, how about have certified doctors and certified hospitals and the UFC pay for it? You know, the UFC already pay for their medicals and something like that. I'm yeah. sure, you know, twice a year for them to pay for a, yeah. a doctor in a hospital yeah. to do no, that. No, it makes perfect sense, but we talked about this before as well, and it's going to take some serious, it's going to take a, a, near, a very near death or a death for yeah. the UFC to stump up the, the endeavor people who own the UFC to, to stump up for this because you know they are like they kind of legitimize the sport with the drug testing thing but like because other sports have drug testing things and they wanted to be kind of aligned with that but mm-hmm. with the weight cutting thing it's kind of unique and nobody outside of the, the MMA bubble ever really talks about it so it's not really a problem for, a, for the UFC brass yeah and just last thing, and this is what you know. Until we, it becomes a big problem. Until it becomes a big problem, exactly. And that that's you know you said it exactly right. There. Even look at Ireland, like with Joe Carvalho dying from you know, and and, and it's not weight cutting him, but you know when he died, it changed the whole thing. It made people go toward to get MMA, you know, um, certified here or whatever the word is. But if you look at in the UFC, you know they're going to have to do that. There's going to have to be something big for them to change. I think, but. To me, looking at it, and you know, we talk about we talked about it a second ago about the weight cutting being a bigger, bigger issue than you know than the fighting when it comes to debt. Like, okay, you can get caught with a big shot, and someone it's going to happen to someone in the UFC at some time. They're going to die. They're you know they're going to get knocked down. They're not going to get back up. It's just unfortunate. But in when we have fighting, like it we, happens in all sports. Yeah, like it, it does. It does. It happens in football. People have dropped dead. Like mm-hmm. it happens in. But the thing about I think it Dana is, White always uses the cheerleading. Like you know, it happens in all sports. But I think UFC and MMA is just the problem in the public's view. It's not as established as yeah. other sports. It, it has more to lose from something like this happening than other sports. It, it, it's kind of accepted as a tragedy, but in MMA it might not be. Mm-hmm. The problem though is right. We're cutting, and let, let, let's talk about the fight first. But in the fight, we have the referee to save the person. You know, if someone takes loads and loads of shots and we do it every week if there's too many shots taken we give out you know we give out about Herb Dean last week we always give out about people and I think that's good and I think fighters you know you sh- our fans you should be giving out about that too you know if it's three or four or five shots we're looking after people's safety there that's what we're trying to do here but you know we have that referee to save the fighter in that situation who have we to save the fighter in the weight cutting situation you're like you know you, you take three or four too many like shots the coaches and the people in, in your team all kind of mean mean well mm-hmm. like i'm sure they're, they're doing their best but nobody really knows what the best way to exactly ri- ridiculously re- dehydrate your body to like just basically until you're giving people electric shocks when you touch them um uh, like nobody really knows like how you're supposed to do that properly um, people have like other some people maybe have a bit more cash behind it or have a bit more of an educated gym or have somebody who does that stuff and maybe they do a little bit better but a lot of guys are just doing this caveman style like you know hopping in saunas and not eating or just eating chicken or <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean it's it's uh, there's no real like here here's what you need to do here's the most effective here's a book from the ufc or whatever saying we've talked to these people in the whatever the ufcpi or whatever or these other people and this is how you the best way to cut weight this is the we think it's the best way to cut weight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why, why is there something like that? Even like, you know, that's not going to cost that much. Yeah. Like, I think the solution is to get rid of weight cutting and find a way around it, you know, with those hydration tests or whatever yeah. it is. But, look, but you see, like, you know, Darren Till's one, like, you know, that yeah, weight cut, it looked like pretty, like, you know, not high tech in any way. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the, like, and I, this guy was like going for a title. Like, you know, this was the, the great UK hope. Like, and even, even these guys, even these guys who have more popularity, more popularity and name value and, an attraction than ninety nine point nine percent of them, whatever MMA fighters, 
don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing a lot of the time. Yeah, and MMA as well. Like, even if you look at Ireland, I remember McGregor saying it before that, you know, himself and John Kavanagh were kind of looking it up and Googling things, what you should do when they didn't have the big, the big money to bring in the jar, likes of Jared Lockhart and people like that. And even, you know, back in the day when Paul Redmond fought Mirsad Bektic, I remember he went to, to John Kavanagh and John Kavanagh, I believe, helped him with the with the weight cut at the time, gave him a few tips and stuff. Because, it's, you know, people don't really know. It's, it's, it's tough, and especially when you're getting down to 145 like he had never got down to before. So... Like, okay, that's changing, especially in Ireland as well. I think it's changed a lot, and, you know, with the internet and with the likes of even Dolce, although I don't think he's that good, <laughs> and, and uh, Jared Lockhart and stuff as well. It's definitely changing. People are getting better at, I think, doing the right thing. But do we know exactly what the right thing is? I don't think we'll ever know, because I don't think there is a right thing, to be honest. I, I, I just think this is just unbelievably bad for you and shouldn't be happening. But, look... At least California are doing things, and I've I've no problem. Let's see if they work. Let's see if they don't work. Give it yeah. time. Andy Foster, the commissioner, seems like one of the more right, kind of yeah. proactive guys, and he's trying to make a difference and trying to do good. So fair play to him, and hopefully, hopefully the the District of Columbia, the DC Commission, will will honor the the yeah. what he, he the requirements of. Uh, clearance that he's asking for yeah like I, I spoke to him and, and Nick Limbo as well from uh, New Jersey last year when I was doing that story you know the one about the, the judging and stuff and they like yeah. every question I asked them they got back, got back to me straight away they were like send me that article I want to see and they like tweeted it out and stuff Nick Limbo did anyway and they really wanted to see it like so you, you know guys like that they, you know mostly when you would deal with promoters or deal with fighters and stuff they'd like don't want to hear from you and they want don't and afraid they're going to catch them out them boys want to see things like that you know they want to improve and that's it's good that we have people like that like Andy Foster and Nick Limbo uh, in there so that, that's uh, that's good anyway right let's move on here before we get to the, the big card next week my boy Henry Cejudo calling out Frankie Edgar let's do it Henry <laughs> let's do it 6-0 and 0-6 oh, oh for Frankie what's his Edgar. new nickname according to Henry Cejudo Frankie 0-5 and five in my last 5 title fights Edgar <laughs> I, <laughs> that's I going right to us <laughs> rolls off the tongue it does really roll off the tongue I called this though didn't I I knew it I fucking said it I said Henry Cejudo thanks was for listening thanks Frankie for Edgar listening out. Henry I said it I said Henry Cejudo was going to call him out he should have called him out earlier he should have called him out before Frankie fought Hollywood he should have said Frankie if you win I'm going to go up to 145 pounds and fight you if you lose I want you down 135 pounds and I'm going to make you 6 and all and he's doing it now it's a little bit late it's later than I said it but it makes sense for him you know he wants those big fights you know he called out Faber he called out uh, Cruz and all that Frankie Edgar's a bigger fight than any of them money wise anyway um, and so- because the bantamweight division gives like people a new kind of fresh you know, there's a lot of Frankie Edgar fans and they defend him to the, to the bitter end and this gives them a, a good, like, kind yeah. of, oh, this is different. Yeah, it's, it's great for everyone except Frankie Edgar. Because, <laughs> he's cutting the 10 pounds and yeah. fighting, uh, extra 10 pounds and fighting Henry Zahuda. I think his team are an absolute disgrace to, let, to be letting him do this. I really, really believe that. Like, uh, people come on here and might think I hate Frankie Edgar or whatever, but I don't. I just like to see the reality of it. I think Frankie Edgar was a very, very, very good fighter. I think he overachieved in his career. He became a... He became a lightweight champion. Like, do you know how difficult that is? Even back in the day, and I know the, you can talk about the BJ Pin fight or whatever, but he beat him comprehensively the second time, and arguably he won against Vincent Henderson and won or not one if not two of those fights as well. So Frankie was a very very good fighter. I love Frankie. He's exciting fights, but you can't lose five title fights in a row or four title fights in a row and then you know get back into another title fight without really earning it that's my problem here if you know if conor mcgregor or uriah faber or daniel cormier had done that i'd be saying the same things about them it's not because i hate frank gilger it's because i don't like the situation and just i don't see the the logic in it at all now that as well is coupled with okay frankie's 
maybe not as good as the people there right now and because he's been fighting a long time but he's also been fighting a long time and taking a lot of damage and been in lots of a fights a lot of minutes a lot more, of more minutes, minutes more minutes than anyone in UFC history so that, that's what you have here and he's taken you know those Graham Miller fights he took a lot of damage in them that Max Holloway fight last week took a lot of damage in that took a lot of damage against Jose Aldo's, Aldo yeah, Aldo fights, he got knocked out well. cold by Brian Ortega that adds up you know we are talking about Eddie Alvarez a couple of weeks ago that adds up and for him to be cutting weight getting down to bantamweight uh, he's, he's not a, young either like, and yeah, he's not as like, fast as he once was Mike Cutting is like a young man's sport <laughs> if you look to look back at Frank Yeager's fights and say why Frank Yeager won you know we talk about a lot him throwing lots of volume and being a lot faster than those big 155 pounders he's not going to be faster than the 135 pounders and he's going to have to change his game up to be a big man rather than a small fast man and at 37 years of age with 14 years in your legs and your body having not won a title in 7 years is that possible? No, it's not possible. Is it smart? No, it's not smart. Should his team, if they if they cared about him, like if they just didn't want to make money out of him, would they be putting him into this situation? No, not at all. Frank Yeager should be retiring now. This is when fighters retire. Like this is it. But this like, should be it. Yeah. I think. I think. Like it's just he's just never going to retire. Like on like that. Like he's just it's, it's just unrealistic to me. <laughs> like guys with. Like there's probably you know Frank Yeager's probably like been in a lot of title fights, a lot of pay per view main events, but he probably hasn't didn't make that much money that he should like like he should have made. Yeah. Like so, ninety nine percent of these guys, all of them really, like even the guys getting paid, Connor, Khabib, Nate Diaz getting paid a lot, they're getting paid, way underpaid even now. Mm-hmm. And these guys aren't getting paid are getting paid a fraction of what are these uh, upper echelon pay per view guys are getting paid. Sure. So. Like you can understand why these guys don't retire, and they obviously have like in order to be Frank Yeager, you have to have this ridiculous belief in yourself, and uh, you're calling on the coaches and stuff. Yeah, I can see that, but if a guy has his guy has his mind made up and he's telling you, oh, I I think I can do this, I have this plan, whatever. Look, if I just throw enough punches at air, judges give me rounds. It's it's a proven formula. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll just be on my bike hitting air. Hopefully the judges will blow it. Like they'll be a champion. I can get that new UFC belt. I I only have the old one. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can get paid. You know, uh, it's just I think he's it's just he's never going to retire at this stage. Yeah, and that's the problem with MMA, I suppose. Well, I don't think that being a fact should. And we talk about that all the time. You know, we just literally, literally, no podcast or no people covering MMA on Earth who talk about fake retirements more than more, more than us. So I think we've that covered. But I don't think we should. Yeah, straight away when somebody fake yeah. retires, I, I get several messages. Yeah, me too, yeah. retirements. <laughs> yeah, so we're known for that. But I don't think we should stop suggesting people should retire. I fucking hate when journalists say, oh, it's not my place to tell someone to retire. It fucking is your place to tell someone to retire. That's what you're you're doing. You're here to talk about the fights. You're here to talk about what you've seen in the past before. You know, past this prologue. And Frank Yeager is on the road to BJ Pin. That's what Frank Yeager is going to become over the next few years. Whether you like it or not. Whether you like Frank Yeager or not. It's the same for almost everyone. You know, if they if they keep fighting, if they keep going, that's the way they're going to go. That's just the reality of it. You know, so, sometimes you're the windscreen, sometimes you're the fly. And there's only one... I, Chel Sonnen, he did a great fucking thing last night. I was looking at it on... Um, 
on, uh, on Facebook, he put up this video, and he was talking about Frank Edgar versus Henry Cejudo, and he was kind of making the same points I made the, the other day about it, and he ma- said this great thing, right, and it's funny because I was listening to the, uh, I was listening to an interview with the, the Killers the other day, and they were talking about Glastonbury a couple of weeks ago, and they take, you know, when you're doing Glastonbury, you do the small stage first, and then if you become a really, really big band, you do the big stage. And then on the way down, you do the small stage again. And it's the same, Chelsano was saying in MMA, you're on the you're on, you're on the Facebook prelims, you're on the prelims, you're the main fight of the prelims, you're on the main card, then you're in title fights, then you're in more title fights, and then you're the co-main event, and then you're opening up the main card, and then you're on the prelims. That's the way you go. That's the way it happens with almost everyone, unless they're smart enough to get out, unless they're smart enough to retire, unless they take that one big loss and they're gone, or, you know, they get caught or they move on or somewhere else. That's the way it goes for everyone. Look at BJ Penn. You know, look at, say, like, a Vincent Henderson. Okay, he's back in the main event here now, uh, again. But you can, you know, look at any number of fighters ever look at you know tj dillashaw look at a dominic cruz he went down a little bit he, but he hasn't been fighting that much like name name any champion over the last while look at anderson silva even even big name guys like that who who it happens to like i'm sure it's going to happen to tyron woodley any number of different guys that's the way it goes and if you're a champion and you have had i think frank edgar's around 10 11 title fights He's surely made a good bit of money. Like, okay, he might haven't hasn't made enough money to retire, but he's made enough money, I'm sure, to open a gym or to get a UFC gym or to give seminars and do something like that. Rather than putting his health on the line, rather than putting his legacy on the line, like at 37 years of age, you've done enough when you've fought and like when you've lost five title fights in a row, when you've won your share of title fights. I really think you have, and like, we need to change this in MMA, where people are going on so long that they're just going to get hurt, like Frank Yeager at 60, these, this, it's the next few fights that are going to add up on him, going into that portion of his life, you know, and that's, I'm only, you know, like people, people say, oh, I hate Frank Yeager and stuff, I'm only trying to look out for fucking Frank Yeager, I don't want Frank Yeager to be fucked up when he's 50 and 60 years of age, like, and that's what's going to happen to him if he keeps going the way he is, and... That's unfortunate, but I suppose it's the reality of MMA. But I'd lo- I'd love to see top guys who are top guys for years go out like this when when the time is right. And I think right now the time is right. But anyway, you're still there, Graham. I spoke for like twenty minutes there. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is like you know, you can we can make a lot of jokes about Frank Edgar and all, but like you, you know, uh, and people maybe people get annoyed when people call for people to retire. Don't give a reason. They just say, oh, you should retire. That was a terrible performance or something. You know, something like sure, that. But yeah. when when you say, oh, this is this is why you know and. You know, I think it's just it's just so unrealistic that I just kind of stopped. <laughs> I've just stopped thinking that that's ever going to happen, really. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, uh, let's talk about the fights this weekend, and I'm I'm really, really, really looking forward to the fights this weekend. Uh, let's let's get straight into the main event: Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. Uh, watching this fight on the toilet there before we start, we started the the the, uh, the podcast. And it was interesting watching it back, and I'm sure I'll do it, and I'll probably do it on the, the rewatch this week. So sign up patreon.com forward slash severe podcast, and I'll talk you through the whole fight uh, over on Patreon. Um, but watching this fight, it was funny because Stipe did a lot better than maybe I remembered, or that anyone would remember when Daniel Carmier knocked him out in the first round. You know, Stipe was landing nice shots right up through the middle. Carmier couldn't really take him down. When it got to the clinch, Stipe did a good job. But it was, to me, 
Daniel Cormier won this fight in the bit, in the, the portion of the fight I love to, to call the in-between bits. You know, he won it in those in-between bits. The, the, the break out of the clinch, the break into the striking. He was winning in those areas. He was a little bit faster than him. And that's, you know, a big thing coming up from light heavyweight as well, to be faster than him. Stipe was landing really well through the middle. His jab was lovely. He's straight right behind it, his combinations. But in that combination, if you listen to the commentary, they said as well, every time he threw a combination, DC was trying to get his hand over the top and trying to clinch. Trying to clinch in the middle of the cage and then trying to clinch, put him uh, against the fence. Um, but DC won it from that sort of position. There was a kind of a half clinch, broke away, and then landed the right hook right inside Stipe. And it was the hooks for Stipe, or the hooks for Carmier that were landing all night. It was a straight shots for Stipe and a couple of hooks as well, but mostly that way because Stipe is longer and DC is, is shorter. But DC is really, really good at breaking the distance. Fantastic at doing that. We saw him even against John Jones and you know in the fights fights he lost. So coming into this fight, I suppose that's going to be the situation. And you see anything like, to me, I, I didn't think this fight the first time around would be kind of the the slugfest. Maybe it was for for large periods of it. Okay, there was a couple of periods against the, the cage. Do you think this fight will be a lot different this time, or do you think it'll be a similar sort of uh, go on it? Yeah, well, uh, Stipe, like you know, you, you look at the at the record, you think, oh, he got trashed. As you say, like he he did have his moments and did do some good things. So maybe he can, you know, implement more of that. But I think Cormier is going to put a lot of pressure on him. He's going to, he's going to try to do a very similar thing that he did the last time. And mm-hmm. maybe it'll go a little bit longer this time, but I see Cormier probably winning quite handily. Just, um, yeah, it's, a, it's like a heavyweight, anything can happen. Like Stipe can, can hit very hard, like, and, and obviously Cormier can too, and nearly all heavyweights can, and it can change in a moment. But besides that, you know, I think Cormier's got the better MMA skill set and is good at implementing a game plan and sticking to it and pressuring people. So I, pro- I think that'll probably be his method to victory. Mm-hmm. It's 13 months since that fight. Who do you think that benefits more? The fact it's been 13 months. D- DC has fought once against Derek Lewis. Stipe hasn't fought since. Mm. Well, Cormier's now like 40. He's, 40. Uh, let me just look at it here. He is born in 79. So yeah, he's 40. Yeah. yeah um, the, the way they train down in AKA historically, maybe, maybe he's picked up a few niggles, mm-hmm. uh, Cormier. But um, I don't think it really affects it too much either way. Yeah, I I think I think it benefits Stipe to be honest. I I, th- I think Stipe, you know, la- the last time, as I said earlier, it was one on speed. Daniel Cormier won it on speed, and you know, there's a big difference between you know just gone thirty eight to being forty. You know that that's, there's a big difference there. I think, and you know, it's going to be. I think it's going to be tough to be as fast and. With you know, with Stipe being kind of more prepared for it, and probably bringing in guys who are going to be a little bit faster, uh, f- to prepare for this, I think it's. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Like that last fight, I was watching it and goes, an uneducated person might say that's a lucky punch, because it's just Stipe punches, Stipe punches, DC punches, DC punches, Stipe punches, DC punches. You know, it's one of those fights. It's back and forth, back and forth, and someone is getting knocked out. Like watching it back after kind of maybe having not watched it since the week after. It, you know, and kind of watching it as if a new new fight, uh, and you're thinking, oh, DC's going to win this easily. And then he, he, he okay, he did. He, he knocked him out. But he didn't win it easily. You know, it was a 50-50 fight. And someone could have got knocked out there. 
And I think now as well, the 13 months will benefit Stipe because of his chin. You know, if this was four months later, you'd be thinking, oh, you know, maybe if he catches him again, he's going to knock him out. You know, might that might still happen, but I think there's a less chance of it because of the time off he's given him. Um, so I think those are interesting factors. I Look, I think everyone would agree that Daniel Carmi is a more well-rounded, a better fighter. Stipe Miocic is a fantastic fighter, you know, arguably, you know, arguably the best heavyweight of all time, you know, the top five at least anyway um so you know i'm not taking anything away from him but i'm looking forward to seeing if he can keep dc on the outside a little bit more uh every opportunity dc got to clinch and land those shots from the break of the clinch or push stipe against the cage came from stipe throwing those one twos and getting too close to dc so if he can keep him maybe on the outside of a jab a little bit more maybe use up a little bit more energy doing that um, he's going to need a very, very high cardio base to obviously do that uh, at heavyweight. And we'll, we'll talk about another heavyweight in a while who, who fights in a similar way. But uh, I wonder, would that be something to look forward to or to, to look for in this fight on Saturday night? See if Stipe can move a little bit more. See if he can pick those shots and land that big jab inside and come straight back out rather than landing two shots. Maybe land the one shot, the jab over and over and then throw the two shots, you know, and have... DC maybe a little bit more open. You know, DC still drops that head as well like he did against John Jones. So I'm sure the big high kick with the with the left or right, depending and it's usually left, I think, depending on which way he drops that head, uh could be an interesting one as well. But although I don't I don't know if Steve has that in his locker, but you know, DC will, as you said, he'll be trying to do what he normally does. He'll be trying to, you know, push forward, get that clinch, push him against the cage, land those big shots uh, on the inside when he can, uh, and uh, you know, make it a make it a dogfight. And you know. Whatever happens, I think it's going to be a really, really good fight. So I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick DC. I think. Are you picking DC as well? Yeah, I'm picking DC. Yeah, but I wouldn't be too surprised. Like you know, Me I mentioned the, the the power at heavyweight and Stipe is definitely no mug. Like he, I know he. It's not really that long of a streak, but he's the longest reigning heavyweight champion, and mm-hmm. like he's okay. He he hasn't fought in MMA, but he can He unsuccessfully <laughs> grappled. Uh, uh, who was Aaron Howard? Uh, in in at the end of April. So you, he are you in topology now? Yeah, you're just looking at a grappling thing, is it? That's what happened. Yeah, there. you just see a grappling there. You know, he hasn't been like you know he hasn't. He's been a little bit active, at least preparing for that. Like you know, yeah. probably staying in shape. You know, he's not just like sitting on the on the couch. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think there's too much there. Like, but I still think DC has the better skill set. He's he's quicker. He's he's. He's just a better fighter all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, he has the gra- the grappling the grappling advantage if he needs it is there as well. Like so, mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, for DC, is he looking at this maybe as his last fight? You know, we talked about retirement stuff, and he's talked about retirement, and retirements are not real. But uh, he's gonna fight John Jones by the end. Come on. Yeah, he yeah he surely will. But I think the problem with that is is John Jones gonna fight him? I wonder will John Jones be there next week? You know, at the fight, and if he is, I suppose that's a good sign. But. It feels like John Jones, um, you know, we're talking about Nate Diaz in a second here, and we're going to obviously talk about pay-per-view and stuff with him as well, but it feels like John Jones is kind of playing it a bit Brock Lesnar-y in that, oh, why would I fight a big fight if I'm not getting paid this big money because of the new pay-per-view system? And John Jones, I think, is happy enough to, to bring in his uh, money to get whatever money he's getting from you know, fighting Corey Anderson or fighting, you know, maybe Johnny Walker next coming up or whatever. Actually, I think the two of them are fighting, so that's a good fight. But you know what I mean? You know, he's I think he's <laughs> happy enough to do that when he, uh, you know, 
I saw someone talking the other day. I'd rather I'd rather be uh, late to something than early to something, and I think that's maybe the way John Jones is looking at. It. Let's see how this ESPN pay per view thing works out. Let's see uh, how the numbers are starting to work. He's Malky Kawa, obviously, as his agent, and he represents a lot of other guys as well. And I'm sure he'll be able to see the numbers. So at the moment, I don't know are the numbers strong enough to make that fight for John Jones's point of view. And maybe that's a factor in it as well. But you know, you know, if things change this weekend, if Daniel Cormier draws a big number in that fight uh, against Stephen Miocic, obviously with Nate Diaz helping out as well, uh, maybe it'll change John Jones's mind. But look, I suppose that's a, a talk for for next week. Uh, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis. It's been three years since Nate Diaz fought. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's a McGregor fight, like I was looking at today. I was like, I was looking up his fights and fight path just to, to to you know to prepare for this. And I was looking, I was like, oh, McGregor fight was the last fight. I was like, what, that was his last fight? <laughs> You'd kind of forget, wouldn't you? It's been, because he was supposed yeah. to fight Paria there, what, six months ago or so? And that yeah, in November, yeah, yeah. Do you think? It's um, yeah. it's a long time, like, you know, the game, <laughs> the game changes quickly, but he's fighting another guy who's been around a long time in, mm-hmm. in Pettis and guys, <clears throat> maybe it's not the, you know, Nate Diaz is not, as I mentioned, but he's not sitting on the couch, like he's out doing like triathlons and, mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff that the Diaz brothers are always doing, and uh, I think when when Nate is out, he doesn't do as much drinking and partying in, yeah. in Las Vegas as his, as as his brother. <laughs> All over so. Snapchat, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just stumbling in and out of uh, what's it called, um, Dreas, Pakistan, oh, yeah. Pakistan in uh, MGM Grand in, in Las Vegas and the likes. But um, it is a long time out of the game. Like mm-hmm. it is, uh, he took a lot of damage in those two McGregor fights. Like people forget that. Like you know. Uh, in the first fight, like he obviously biggest win of Diaz's career, shock and all that stuff, but he took some serious damage in that for in that first round and the start of the second. And then in the in the second fight, he took a lot of damage as well. Like McGregor took damage like damage as well, obviously, but so did Diaz. And uh Diaz is in there boxing all the time, like I'd say as well. So you know you know how those boxing gyms are, like and mm-hmm. I think the Diaz's are a bit old school. So um like Diaz, he's getting on now. But I think I think I like this matchup against Pettis. Like I'm worried about the leg kicks for Diaz, and it'd be real, like Pettis will probably that'll probably be a game plan. But Diaz might be able to, you know, if there's if there's a there's, the weakness in in Pettis's striking is his boxing and his his head movement and mm-hmm. kind of being too happy to kind of back up and just kind of stand against the cage or. I don't know. It's yeah. uh, uh, it's it's a tough one to pick. Like, but uh, like three years out is a long time. Pettis is coming off a great, great. Like he just beat Wonderboy Thompson. Like you know, mm. it, you tell me like fucking a few years ago, Pettis would you know just coming off a win over over Wonderboy. I'd be like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. and it was crazy at the time. Like, it's easy to forget, but he was getting like, kind of lit up in that fight like a bit. Like in fairness, mm-hmm. before <laughs> before the end as well. So it's it's an interesting one. Like, uh, I'm a fan of both go- both guys, both guys' styles and. Like I, I, I lean just Nate Diaz slightly, but I, it's hard to know. I'm I'm absolutely torn on this fight because there's there's a couple of different things, right? I, I think the most important thing here is to look at the the new judging system and see how it'll work for Nate Diaz because I I think everyone would agree Nate's not like a big power hitter. He's uh he throws a lot volume, of volume, 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 sixty, seventy percent, just touching you, touching you, touching you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then. He has a very good chin as well. So, it's a thing of... Will Pettis land big enough shots to have an effect on Nate Diaz to win the rounds over Nate Diaz's output? That's, Leg kicks are the kind of yeah. thing that I'm 
I'm thinking is how Pettis is going to win this fight if he is to win it. Like he's going to make, he's got to take that front leg and make Diaz think about that and maybe go. To, like Pettis has some very vicious head kicks and uh, uh, body kicks. Like he's he's very good with the body kicks. If he can have Diaz worrying about the leg, maybe he can open up that. Like and he can he can win that way. Like Diaz has been TKO before. Well, I think Nick threw in the the tail, so yeah. Yeah, it's TKO against Josh Thompson. Uh, but uh, I think he. I, I think maybe he wasn't taking it too seriously that fight at the time. There was kind of a bit of he was pissed off with the UFC. He's always pissed off with the UFC, but he yeah. was like very pissed off with the UFC. <laughs> um, so I think you know, uh, Josh Thompson's obviously a very good fighter as well. But I think like that's how Pettis needs to attack this if he's if he's going to win. Yeah, but it, it's so it's, hard. It's, it's so hard to know. I hadn't really. I hadn't really thought of that a hundred percent. I, you know, obviously, you know, the thing about Pettis is, and it, I, I agree, leg kicks if he can do that. But the thing about Pettis is, over the last while, and that Tony Ferguson fight as well. You know, he was it was kind of the opposite of the Wonder Boy fight. He was winning that until he lost it, and. His boxing, I think, has improved a little bit. His boxing, you know, it's good. It's not bad, but compared to Nate Diaz, I agree with you, it's it's definitely not as good. But if he can land the more power shots, say if he can land six power shots around and Nate Diaz lands 20 non-power shots, Pettis wins that round. So we have to think of that, I think, mm. going in, going into this fight. You know, and it, judging has improved. It has changed. It has gotten better. There's no doubt about that. And I think judges will call that better. You know, this could be another case of, you know... Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz won three four, you know one five two or whatever it was, you know. Well, it's guess, only three uh, rounds though. Yeah, I know, but yeah, you know what I mean. Like there could where people could there could be people calling robbery here at the end of this fight. I would not be surprised if that happened at well, all. Every every time any Diaz loses a fight, even legitimately, yeah. it's a complete robbery yeah, in most people's minds. That is true. But to me, like watching this fight now, the things you're gonna need to be looking out for is can. Anthony Pettis come right down through the middle and land those big shots like he did against Wonderboy, you know, he, throwing himself off the fence to come out and throw that Superman punch to get right down. Is Nate Diaz's chin the same as what it used to be? You think it was, you know, he, three years, okay, he took a lot of damage in that McGregor fight, but in the second McGregor fight, he didn't get knocked out. He didn't get knocked out in the first McGregor fight either. He took a lot of damage and he kept going and he, three years to recover. So I'm, I'm sure he'll still be grand there, so... Uh, I think Pettis will be grand. Usually then you look at Pettis and you look at Diaz and then you have to talk about the ground game and the submissions of Bodum as well. And I think especially um, Anthony Pettis because when he gets taken down, his submission game is unbelievably good. He's not going to be submitting um, Nate Diaz. Diaz will respect him though because, you know, when you, when he's already... I think he choked Gil Melendez. Like, yeah, you know, did. The Diaz, is, the Diaz is, <laughs> won't be forgetting that. Like, yeah. he'll allow... He won't go in there like thinking, "Oh, I'm going to dominate this guy on the ground." He'll be have respect for for Pettis, like you know, if you if you, if you, you finish Gil. I think that was the first time Gil Melendez ever been finished, was it, or submitted uh, anyway? Submitted, I'd say, yeah, yeah. So, like you know, uh, Diaz is out. Both Diaz brothers have obviously got very good jiu-jitsu, but Pettis has she probably has more uh, more high profile submission wins than either of Diaz in, in recent years. Anyway, say. like he wins and won the title with a with a lovely armbar that nobody even really the crowd didn't even really see or nobody the commentators didn't even really see because it was so quick and and unexpected but he has that trickery and he, he he's always willing to go for something even if it puts him in a worse position mm-hmm. so yeah he's dangerous I don't think that'll happen in this fight though I don't think he'll be going to the ground the interesting thing is here right we, we always talk and I, maybe I've probably talked about it more than anyone in, in the world about Anthony Pettis not being able to circle. And, and he's done it a little bit more. He did it in the Tony Ferguson fight, and I gave him credit for it at the time. But being backed against the cage. And the interesting thing is when he's backed against the cage against almost everyone, they'll, you know, 
get the underhook against the cage. He'll either kind of pull guard and try to go for a, a submission or he'll just get taken down and, and beaten on top. I don't think Nate Diaz will do that. And the thing about Nate Diaz in that position then is he's going to be able to land a lot of shots and he's going to be able to throw a lot of shots. And I suppose it's up to Pettis to counter from that position and he's not really great at doing that at all. Although he did knock out Wonderboy, so I should probably remember that from, from that position. But it's I think that's going to be interesting. Like This could be... I talk about it going to decision, and I think it probably will go to a decision. But if Nate Diaz is the Nate Diaz of old, if he's the Nate Diaz that we, we know and love for years, and he can land 50 Motivated shots. Motivated Nate. <laughs> yeah, if, if he can throw 50 shots in, in a, a three-minute period and around when Anthony Pettis is pushed against the fence, he could knock out Anthony Pettis as well in that position. So that's an interesting position, I think, the Pettis backing up... Um, Diaz pushing him against the fence kind of position, so look 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 for that as well, and it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, you know, Pettis if he wins, or um, uh, Diaz if he wins, sorry, he could be pushing for a, a title fight. You know, beating Anthony Pettis after just beating Wonderboy, and he's a big draw, and people know who he is. You know, Colby Covington may be a bit, little bit worried about it now if he'll want to fight Usman or not, probably not. And he'll probably want to fight McGregor again. And that's maybe another fight that could be made. With, you know, McGregor obviously out injured and so for the last while. And was it was it the Diaz's and Habib who had like a bit of a... It was, yeah. In the MGM or in some... They had a bit of a throwing chairs or throwing stuff. Was that? Was that? Yeah, it was. And Nate was, was on uh, with Ariel there a few weeks ago and he mentioned that as well. He was like, I, yeah, why would like I want the, to fight Habib? I'm going to beat him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nate Diaz, like you know, he's he, people may think he's stupid, but he's definitely not stupid mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the MMA game, the the business side of it. Like he's done very well for himself. People can people can make fun of the Diaz's and all that, but they they they, they stood up for their worth like a lot more than any other most other fighters in MMA, and both of them end up getting paid pretty handsomely, especially in Nate Diaz. Obviously, uh, he, he had to. It wasn't just it wasn't just. Uh, arguing with the UFC, you have to go out there and beat McGregor on, on whatever, 10 days notice, 12 days notice, whatever it is, but, you know, even in, even still, if, if another guy had to come in, he probably wouldn't have done as well as Nate Diaz, so he's just smart guys, and, and he's probably got his eye on that to beat fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, he, he could, yeah, so it'll be, if he wins, it's, it's a big fight, you know, it's either a welterweight title fight, it's either Habib, it's either McGregor, so, and Nate Diaz won't take something if it's not that, probably, and he probably won't even take the welterweight title shot either, because uh, he'll be happy enough not to take it, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, Fairy tales. I wouldn't Fairy be tales. surprised if we saw McGregor versus Diaz next year uh, if, if he does win you know I'm sure Connor's always look, <laughs> looking for a big fight when he comes back and gets fit so uh, let, let's see let's see how it goes um, fairy tales indeed couple more fights Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa might be the most fucking ripped fight in the history of MMA two fucking absolute behemoths watching a bit of Paulo Costa there before the podcast um, he's like Yoel Romero in, in terms of style but he throws a lot more he's not a f- Freak, at, yeah. like he's a very, very, very good athlete. But mm. comparing, like, Yo Romero is an old man, but he, he, he moves like a, like a, I don't know, a bantamweight. Mm. <laughs> like sometimes, like he obviously, like he chooses his moments, and sometimes he can do a lot of standing around. But when, like, when he wants, when he wants to do something, he can be so explosive, and he's got, he, he's got like upper echelon wins that probably Polakasa doesn't really have. Like, but mm. uh, it's, it's a tough fight. Like you know. It, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like Polakos is dangerous. Like he finishes people. He, he he knocks people out. Like um, Yo Romero. Like at some stage, age is going to catch up with him. Like you know, mm. you can't be that explosive freak yeah. <laughs> forever. But uh, I'd probably lean towards Romero getting it done. But 
I think he has more methods of victory, but I think I wouldn't be that surprised if if Costa caught him with a big punch and that changed the fight or finished the fight. Mm -hmm. I just came up with the best nickname ever for you, El Romero. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. The Mouse Trap. <laughs> what about No Forget Jesus? <laughs> no, forget no Forget Jesus. No Forget Jesus. <laughs> but he is. That's what he is. He's a mouse trap. That's how he fights. He just waits and waits and waits and then you step in and boom, you're dead. Want that cheese? You sure? <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's what he is. We need to start calling him the mouse trap because that's what he is. That's the fighter he is. He'll just wait and then he'll hit you. Whereas Paulo Costa will look for it. Like, and to me as well, you know, you're talking about the, the kind of the athlete and stuff. Like, if you're a really, really, really good athlete and you train and train and train and you lift and lift and lift for your whole life, you can look like Paulo Costa. You can become that. But no matter who the fuck you are, if you're a brilliant athlete and you train your fucking hole off 50 times a day, you'll never become Yoel Romero. You can spend <laughs> you know? every waking moment of your day in the gym doing yeah. the right, the exact right things and you wouldn't be never. <laughs> as much of an athlete as Yoel Romero. <laughs> never. He is a freak amongst freaks. He is a... a you can animal. eat all the drugs you want or yeah. inject it, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, you know, talk about Yoel Romero. You know, he had that problem with the the supplement and stuff as well and he got six months so he's never failed a drugs test per se um, and you know a lot of people say he's on drugs and stuff like that but you, there's nothing you can it's do it's <laughs> yeah, that, but it's that's natural like he is a natural fucking bohemian you know people talk about him wrestling and stuff even back when he was really young and he was like that as well so and, and you know I think that's a, a lot of times you know okay it has a big effect on fights but if you're El Romero it has a more of an effect than anyone ever because he knows how to how to use that athleticism, you know, it's it's like he's superpower and he only takes it out at certain times and bang, you're gone, you know, and he'll wait and wait and wait and wait and take you out with it, and now, for Paulo Costa, if you're fighting against that, I suppose the best way to fight against that, as Robert Whitaker showed, was pressure and cardio and not giving him a chance to let those shots go by just throwing shots all the time and not letting him get off, you know, I remember talking about that Yoel Romero fight, uh, the Robert Whitaker fight at the time, and kind of breaking it down, analysing it, and it was, you have to, Yoel Romero, when he's, when he's attacking, he just takes a step and attacks, so you have to stop him in the middle of that, you have to jab him before he takes that step, you have to jab him and hit him before he takes those shots, you have to go for a takedown, you have to push him against the fence before he takes those shots, and that, you know, over three rounds, that's a lot easier to do over five rounds. But when you're Paulo Costa and you have a lot of muscle you're carrying around as well and, you know, you spend fucking 12 hours in the gym every day, it's going to be tough to have that go to cardio. It's interesting. I'm actually going to be very interesting to see next Friday when Paulo Costa weighs in what type of shape he's in. You know, if he's maybe a little bit <laughs> leaner, I suppose is the wrong fucking word. But maybe if he's a little bit less muscle on him, it might actually benefit him. You know, if you don't see the same unbelievably fucking yoked Paulo Costa coming in there, it might actually actually be, 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 be a benefit so um yeah, I'm might really be a bit looser less stiff mm -hmm. and, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to that fight and let's let's see what happens but I, i'd probably favor you on romero too same same as you um Derek Brunson, Ian Heinish. Ian Heinish looks like a really good up-and-coming prospect, so looking forward to seeing that. Uh, Gabriel Benitez, Sadiq Yusuf. Sadiq Yusuf looks a really, really good prospect as well, fighting in that featherweight division. Uh, and Gabriel Benitez is no joke either. Uh, Rafael Sansao, Corey Sandhagen. I like that fight a lot. Yeah. Uh, is that fight like, still uh, happening? Is yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a good, that's, that's a good fight. It's like, you know, Austin Say was a, a horrible opponent to look good against. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe his style has people, fighters are able to deal with it a little bit better than they were a few years ago when he was, when he was, uh, for example, beating TJ Dillashaw. But I think, I think it's a really tough fight for Sandhagen. And uh, I see Austin Say was an underdog, but um, I see this being like a very close, like, split decision. And 
Aston Sauer has a has a knack of just doing enough to win those most of the time. Yeah, I I actually don't think that's a bad call at all because if you look at okay, um, Sandhagen is eleven and one, and his he lost in like outside the UFC like fucking yeah. five years ago. He beat Lineker, didn't yeah. he? But it was a split decision, like you know, it could have went either way. Like and that's not like it's it's a, it's a no easy feat to go to a close decision with him, but you know, Aston Sauer just it's very hard to to look good and mm. like even top quality. Upper echelon guys have struggled against him. Like I know this is a few years ago now, but Santa Aiken is like young in his career. I say was very experienced. Like this is a, if he can come through here and and look impressive against Asensio, then it's it's a huge statement. Hundred percent. But looking at that John uh, Lineker split decision, that worries me a little bit for him fighting Asensio. Like because if you get to a split decision with Asensio, if you get to a decision with Asensio, sorry. It's going to be tough to win that decision just because of the way Ashton so fights. Because he, you know, he hits hard in the inside. He's very, very good defensively. It's hard to hit him. And okay, over the last while, maybe he hasn't been as good, but I'm sure he'll have rebound and he'll come back again. So, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. I don't. I think we've great respect for Rafael Ashton so Ferris. Uh, so that's he is that kind of the upper echelon gatekeeper, I suppose. Always ranked number five or six. And if you beat him, you're ready for a title shot. So you know, if Sandhagen can beat him, he's he's ready for. Ready for a title shot there. Um, Draka Close is back on this card again. I, I really like him. You know, obviously he has that big win over Mark Casey from a while back, if I'm not mistaken. Many um, Bermudas, Casey Kenny. Casey Kenny's a, a good prospect coming through there uh, as well. Uh, Hannah Cipher, she looked good there recently. She's fighting Jody Escobar, fighting out of uh, Greg Jackson's gym, I believe. Um, Young Ho Kang, Brandon Davis, that's a good fight. Shayna Dobson, she was on the Ultimate Fighter a while back against uh, Sabina Mezzo. So, yeah, some good fights there. And uh, I, I don't know, it's Paolo Botello on the fight. Uh, I think her opponent fell out there during the week. I don't know if they've got a replacement or not. But, yeah, that's that. Anyway, Graham, looking forward to it. That should be a good fight card, shouldn't it? You know, it's a lot of good names on it, especially the, the, the top three fights. And, you know, many Bermudas as well. And, and as we talked about the SSL fight, is it, mm-hmm. like, it tells us where, where Sandhagen is. And maybe there's a few kind of fights that nobody really cares about on the undercard, but that's come to be expected, basically, with the with the, uh, oversaturation. So, yeah, uh, I think most people don't really care about prelims anymore so it doesn't really matter mm-hmm, 100% uh, yeah, I suppose that's it actually this week as well we'll have no questions right here now we usually have a couple uh, because they're obviously doing it early so we'll make the Q&A free this week on Patreon so send in your questions at Severe May Pod questions at Severe May Podcast as well uh, or no qu- what is it Questions at SevereMed.com. Questions, Questions yeah. at SevereMed.com. I failed to mention that the last few weeks. Um, so we have a new email address. You can still send it to all the email addresses as well if you use that. But questions at SevereMed.com. Send in your questions there anytime during the week. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to answer the next week's podcast or next week's QA, questions at SevereMed.com. Hit us up and sign up as well, obviously, on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash SevereMed podcast. There's so much stuff this week. We had an hour-long Premier League preview. I had a 30-minute Q&A. I had a 40-minute State of the UFC address. I looked back at, at Pena versus uh, Shevchenko. Next week, I'll be looking back at DC versus Steep. And actually, might have another rewatch as well. I'll have the, the Q&A, as I said. It'll be free for everyone, so if you want to see it. And we'll have loads more stuff as well. Graham, anything to say before we go? Uh, no. Liverpool is still the champions of Europe. Uh yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I was going to say something there, but I don't want to get into that soccer chat with you. I don't think we should ever talk about soccer ever again. I hate it. You're the you're the worst. Like you're actually. So today, Man City scored an offside goal, went to VAR, and then they allowed it. <laughs> it's like all right. These things happening. Association football. Association <laughs> um, All right, everybody. Thanks very much for listening. And all that's left to do is give you the inspirational quote of 
the weak. It requires less character to discover the faults of others than to tolerate them. We'll see you next Tuesday or Sunday or Saturday.